You are listening to the New Street X podcast, where we interview people who understand the intersection of physical and digital collectibles. We're entering an exciting world in the collectible space that involves things like sneakers, NFTs, trading cards, fashion, sports, pop culture, and much, much more. And these things are coming together. So we're here to talk to people that understand that, people that are really building the future of collectibles around the world. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, and hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the New Street X podcast. I'm excited to have you today, Wilfred Odero from the investment team at the company Metaversal. Metaversal is aiming to create the most impactful community in Web3. They produce and invest in iconic NFTs and the technology behind them. They've got a really interesting portfolio of companies across the Web3 space, particularly deep in NFTs. And I'm excited to have Wilfred here today to talk about the Web3 the web space, NFTs, Metaversal, and just a whole bunch of other topics. So Wilfred, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Tony. Excited to chat everything metaverse. Oh, yeah. Well, let's just let's dive in, man. Like, can you tell me if I just met you for the very first time on the street today? Like, what is metaversal? How do you describe it? And maybe talk a bit about your role there and what you focus on. Yeah, happy to do so. So metaversal at a high level is a holding company that kind of has two missions. You alluded to one of them, but one is curating a community of communities. And the second one is evolving digital culture. And we do that in two ways. So the first way we do it is we have a venture studio, which exists to tell the infinite stories of our culture. And an example of that is our current flagship project called Omega Runner, which is in collaboration with Clubhouse Studios, the, the directors behind films like The Hunger Games, Kate, I, Tanya. And that's, that's on the venture studio side where we take IP, take IP and create IP that's native to Web3, partly or in whole. And in this case, Omega Runners is an example of us doing that and creating this infinite story. And the second part, which is kind of curating a community of communities, is, is brought about by the investment team or the investment function at Metaversal, which acquires NFTs directly and backs creators and also invests in companies that we think are crucial for bringing forward a, a, an open metaverse as well as what we mentioned, evolving digital culture, like what are the necessary ingredients that we think uh, can be drivers in that and how can we back them? And we also incubate businesses. We recently incubated Lorandum, which is the largest journey of art uh, institution or will be the largest journey of art institution. They're squarely focused on journey of art. So as you can see, Metaverso has a, a wide range of flexibility and capacity to impact the space. I think it's by design and we are permanent capital. So that, that is quite unique about us. And yeah, that's, it's a little bit about metaversal. I'm Wilfred. I'm on the investment team. I joined earlier last year, focused on primarily infrastructure, but became more of a generalist touching everything from our NFT acquisitions to infrastructure investments and just primarily focused on our investing decisions at metaversal. Awesome. Now, what is the founding story of metaversal so i mean you described it well but i'd love to just know maybe if you could talk more about the inspiration behind how metaversal came about came about the the story and what the opportunity was because you know talk about things like community and digital culture and obviously they're at the forefront of what a lot of web3 companies stand for but i'd love to just know like how did that come about with metaversal and what was the how did the company come together 
Yeah, I think an interesting way to encapsulate it is a story that our founder, Yossi, always tells. He was in L.A., and they were, at the time, thinking about the idea of what would become Metaversal. And he was passing through Universal Studios. And when he saw Universal, and he was thinking about the Metaverse, that's kind of where the name Metaversal came through. So it was this idea of having like a company that can tell the infinite stories of culture and be right at the beginning of what was an NFT cycle. And I think one of our close partners, who is CoinFund, was really interested in also having an let's call it an NFT arm, so to speak. And I think through them introducing our, our co-founder to Dan Schmerin to Yossi, Metaversal kind of became incubated then, and it's been around ever since. So I, I, they'd be great to, to ask more about the Genesis story, but just from a high level, we were created to take advantage of this opportunity, which presents itself as a revolution for creators and also the, the digital economy and how that gets monetized. As you know, Web2 incumbents have been at the forefront of that in the past, and it's not quite clear that that model or that relationship between creators and the created works is what can persist over time, particularly just given how skewed the economic incentives are there. And so the promise of Web3 is kind of revolutionizing that and saying, what does it look like to have a truly open system that can foster creativity, creators, and new types of digital works? And this is a special moment in history, and Metaversal is here to capitalize on that because you don't get a chance to do this twice. It's it's only going to happen once, and, and we exist to capitalize on that opportunity. Got it. So I think the vision to me sounds clear, and I definitely am on board with, of course, you know, I like the inspiration from kind of what a like Web3 Hollywood studio would be like. And I, I spend a lot of time thinking about what like decentralized IP means, how NFTs can be applied to a lot, a whole lot of like art, art, media, entertainment industries. Maybe the best way to understand like the sort of ways that Metaversal is taking a position in the future is by running through some of like the investments you've made. But even before getting into like the specific investments, like, I mean, and obviously that's where you spend from the sounds of it, like where your, where your time is spent, but what's like the investment thesis of metaverse? Like, you know, like what would be at a sort of theoretical level, like a high level example of a kind of company or opportunity or, you know, subcategory that you'd be interested in. And then maybe we could jump into some examples of companies that metaverse had actually invested in. Yeah, that's a great question. And in fact, I think we've invested an equal amount that to, to companies as well as NFTs. So this is a bi-directional question in the sense that on the one hand, when we do invest in NFTs, there is a very clear thesis there that that we go by. And on the portfolio side, it's it's a variation of that. So what is that thesis, at least on the NFT side? The main question that most of the assets we own answer is, is this an iconic asset or does it have the potential to be an iconic asset as the role of digital collectibles grows and becomes more persistent? Are these going to be the Mona Lisa's of, of this era of, of expression? Like, if you just look back, for each art movement, so to speak, there's kind of these preeminent artifacts of, of that era. And in our, in our case with NFTs, this is a fairly recent phenomenon. So what are those culture-defining pieces that we think will persist over time? So it's not in the sense of what's necessarily going to be a nice quick and f- nice quick flip 
We saw a lot of volume, a lot of traction, and oh, we're just going to buy in. No, we're more permanent and long-term investors. So we kind of look out for which collection of NFTs or set of digital collectibles are most likely to persist over time. I love this topic. I just want to like just mention some stuff because it's interesting because, you know, sometimes the thesis or at least like, you know, for people that don't have the most nuanced view of NFTs, sometimes from the outside in, people can just think, oh, these are like, sometimes people just want to get in for a quick like pump and dump or it's like a short term return. There's not really a long term value there. So I like the way that you're describing it as permanent capital, because, you know, even from like a traditional investment sense, like not all capital is is permanently like venture capital isn't on as long of a time frame as the way you're describing it. But I also remark on the fact that a lot of these culturally relevant NFTs that will be the next quote unquote Mona Lisa, you know, that, that sounds also like a hard thing to guess, right? Because the NFT space is so young. And for people like I think you and I might agree that CryptoPunks, for example, are culturally relevant and may stay that way forever or for at least a long time. But I just love to know, like, how do you then make that decision? Because, you know, it's a it's a bold thesis for a very young and exciting Wild West space. But yeah, I just love to know, like, how you how you make those decisions. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And clearly at, at a high level, one could say that you could draw clear parallels from that previous era or previous eras of what ended up becoming preeminent artifacts of, of that culture and defining artifacts of that culture. And some of those qualitative properties, so to speak, are universal because humans are generally drawn to sort of the same things, even across history. So taking that qualitative framework from past eras and a lot of our, a lot of people in our company are previous, have previous art backgrounds, like Dan, our president was previously the CEO of Volvo. And we, we have a lot of people that are coming from that traditional art background. And so there's that lens in the company where you can kind of draw these qualitative parallels from what what was valuable in the past and what is likely to be valuable here. And then applying that rubric from a qualitative perspective to this to this burgeoning space and saying, okay, this is most likely to happen. And one thing that's quite different from those areas, I think, is the rise of memes and just the power of medicine in this space. I think we've seen the best memes tend to persist and win. <laughs> I don't know if you've recently seen the Pepe coin, but also preceding that, you kind of have the Doge coin and all of that. So just given that we're in this new digital format, there's also a heavy role that memes have to play. So that has to be taken into account. And there is this general praise that's in our ecosystem that we're seizing the memes of production, so to speak. It sounds silly, but... In reality, if we're in a world where we're more and more in a digital space, narrative matters more. I think the highest expression that this generation has found of that is through memes. And the propagation of those memes becomes quite important and quite relevant, even in terms of virality, bringing eyes into the space. It might look ridiculous just on the face of it, but it actually draws people in and, and keeps them engaged and gets them to discover all these other facets within the, the digital collectible space. And I think for us, it's just finding this balance between the new ways in which culture appreciates culture appreciates its, its works, but also like in a digitally native environment, what are the key drivers that are different to past eras that could, again, be used in the decision-making to say, this is most likely to be the Mona Lisa of, of this era. And 
there's certainly different niches within digital collectibles. You have PFPs, you have generative arts, which we're, we're large collectors of, and we're very early to the whole FX hash movement as an example. So there's, there's certainly enough variance and, and kind of scope for us to, to see a lot of things and, and place bets and curate to what we think is, is going to be relevant in the future. But yeah, at a high level, that's, that's kind of the, the, the process that, that we go through. Okay. Well, because I'm, I'm really curious. I, I, there, I know there are not many, I don't know if you call it institutional capital, but like in terms of people investing in NFTs with a sophisticated thesis, putting aside like the DGENs or people that are just buying NFTs because they like them, I think that there are not that many organizations that make smart bets on NFTs. And it's interesting you bring up the sort of art analogy because let's say you and I were creating like an art investment fund 50 years ago. One of our tactics, I would think, is like, let's say you and I believe quite a lot in Picasso and we started accumulating like, this is like 30 years ago or whatever, hypothetical, a bunch of Picasso paintings. And then what we wanted to do is help, you know, we believed in Picasso, maybe from a, a sort of, cultural artistic perspective, but also the sort of financial gains and the business sense of it too. And we'd want to like see Picasso's name and prestige be increased. Maybe we could help that. When, when Metaversal makes a, an acquisition of like an NFT, like let's say a, a generative art piece, maybe that's tied to a particular artist. Is it also in Metaversal's purview to play like a supporting role, even like indirectly in helping that collection grow or that artist grow? Like wh- where does that, I guess it doesn't just end with acquiring it and just not doing anything, right? Like, is there another step to how you can support the NFTs you're acquiring and you believe in? Yeah, totally. And that's, that's one of our key differentiators. We call it asset activation, but even what you just described, we acquired Philoicious. This is a fairly young artist and we were some of the first institutional collectors of his work. And throughout when he used to do kind of these shows in LA and, and all of this like Metaversal was front and center and kind of sponsoring and organizing some of those activations, so to speak, particularly last year. So definitely we take direct support to, to the creators that we back and that, that just goes beyond acquiring their initial works. We kind of introduce them to our general network, other collectors, build deep relationships with them. And in the case that they have activations around their artwork that are highly relevant that we think we can add value to, then that's something that does happen. And typically, whenever Metaversal has an event, we tend to showcase a lot of our collection. So that's that's just also another way of activation, but it, it really spans a gambit. We're not constrained, and I think the position we're taking more and more is, is kind of championing our portfolio companies, but also the the creators that we back, because quite frankly, as you know, we're we're not just collectors. We also have to play this this curation role. And playing that curation role is is quite difficult and very few people can do it. But Metaversal does spend that gamut and is increasingly gonna be doing more of that. That is super cool. And I, I know like Phobotius is like a great bet on the future in the sense that his story is just amazing. It's been inspirational. I went to one of the, the ferocious paint parties at NFT NYC, I think it was last year. And that's just great. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I, and I like how that is definitely a differentiator. Now, I guess when it comes to 
companies, like it's not just about investing in obviously NFT collections or acquiring these like artistic assets, but the investments into companies, like how, how does that approach differ compared to when you're investing in, in directly into NFTs? That's a, that's a very good question. I think like one, one recent investment that we made was 90CC. I think this is highly relevant to this podcast. We saw them doing something quite unique, bridging the gap between culture, digital culture, fashion, as well as digitals or collectibles, depending on <laughs> which of those phrases you go by. And it was this unique merge where it wasn't just like here, tag an NFC chip onto a football jersey, so to speak, or or a piece of merchandise. No, you have this kind of native Web3 figure with the native Web3 community, and this community wants to connect. And how do they do that? You get to buy garments that are relevant from a fashion perspective, and maybe it's not everyone's cup of tea, but for that specific cohort, it's, it's quite intriguing. And then you imbue them with things like chromy squiggles. They recently did the, the hats that they launched at NFT NYC. And all of this, and the only way for people to kind of get access to buy the next piece of digital physical fashion is meet somebody in real life, scan the code on their 90cc shirt, whether it's a shirt or a hat, and you're, you're on the list. And it becomes this way of kind of taking the novelty of uh, NFTs and digital collectibles and bringing it to a group that is highly engaged, highly interested in, in what's going on. And it becomes like a way to, to form these in real life connections and extend this Web3 native brand. And I think they, they did that spectacularly and we're quite excited about what they're going to do. But that's the type of stuff that, that gets us excited because what is 90CC doing? They're evolving digital culture. Not only that, they're also forming a foundational layer or a template for what it looks like to build a Web3 native fashion brand in the sense of it's not an incumbent coming in, but this is a brand that was spawned out of Web3 and is totally Web3 native and is doing really, really interesting stuff. So 90CC is just one example. I think we've invested in things as that may seem mundane, like NFT financialization, which we think is crucial. And there's MetaStreet there. They're aggregating the lending activity across across the NFT space. We have we have a wide array. We even we have an investment in Arweave, which again is a storage protocol that in our case we thought would really help with addressing the storage of metadata, which is a clear issue. I don't know if you're familiar with kind of the issue of dead links, people using centralized storage for what's pointing to their NFTs. And you could wake up one morning if the server, if it was a Amazon S3 bucket and that for some reason goes down, oh, now you can't see your NFT. So bringing solutions to some of these Web3 native issues and things that we think are, are crucial in providing a, a superior user experience for native Web3 users, but also having an eye out for what does it look like to bring in the incremental person or to bring in mass adoption. And we think the best way to do that, generally speaking, I think NFTs are kind of a Trojan horse for the adoption of Web3 and crypto in general, the sense that it brings fun, it brings things that people care about. And underlying all of that is this decentralized technology, which most people would not be interested in, in otherwise. Like the, the Bitcoin white paper, it's great. The Ethereum white paper, it's great. But most people are not going to be coming to Web3 or, or crypto for those reasons. 
they want to see something interesting, like what 90CC is doing with fashion. They want to see something compelling, whether it's art, something that they can resonate with, the community, gaming, and, and all these facets and the things that we think are crucial in enabling that and bringing that to people is, is, is a big part of, of how we even choose to, to invest in these infrastructure companies. But yeah, hopefully that gives you some, some more context into why some of the examples that, that we, we've invested in in the past. Totally. I mean, I, I'm starting to see it. Like, I'm starting to have a picture painted in my head of Metaversal being like a hyper-culturally aware company that invests in culturally relevant ways that NFTs are contributing like in this all the way from one end of the spectrum, just purely from like an artistic perspective to on the other end of the spectrum, more like quote unquote unsexy infrastructure stuff like NFT lending, right? I think all those things are pieces of building the future that Web3 is promising. And it's interesting, like the, the perspective you're talking about, something I, I don't think I hear that often, but I like the sort of, when I think about mainstream adoption of NFTs and the Trojan horse concept, I think sometimes many companies are missing that. And I like 9DCC personally and for a variety of reasons. And obviously I've had G-Money on the podcast before, but I think fashion is something people understand and the digital, you know, whether you want to use that term or not, digital opportunities are something that make a lot of sense to me. So I'd, I'd love to dive deeper on that topic because and it's one thing we, we discussed previously, but I see digital, let's say Web3 native fashion brands as one example. I mean, let's take digital fashion purely, but you know, obviously it can mean a lot of things. But 90CC is an interesting, like sort of small startup that could be developing a new sort of model for how you create a fashion brand that's Web3 native. But on the other end of the spectrum, you also have these companies that are incumbent big companies that are also embracing some kind of digital strategy. And I think to myself, you know, Adidas, Nike, you know, for us at Newstream in particular, those, those sneaker brands are very important to us. They're, they're interesting. And they've also adopted a sort of Web3 strategy, whether it's Artifact from Nike being their sort of horse they're betting on, integrating into their, their own sort of main business, or what Adidas is doing, all the recent NFT collections and collaborations they've been doing. I, I guess when we, when we when, like to riff on the concept of a digital from a fashion perspective, like where are you seeing the most interesting stuff when it comes to incumbent brands and would there be a role for metaversal there or where you'd be focused more on the the small startups in that sense but love to get your commentary on all the above yeah and i think we're, we're generally interested and in, we have had conversations i think with with incumbents looking to to make a step in and i think it, it's been a, a game of wait and see or test and see one thing that i think is going to be a watershed moment for them coming in is some sort of Web3 native CRM, so to speak, or CRS system, because it's very difficult for them to currently track what impact some of their activations in Web3 are doing. And these companies tend to be highly sensitive to the, the, the ROI spectrum for, for whatever it is that they're doing. But I think we've seen a few, a few companies really explore the space and, and take big shots. I mean, Nike with Artifact and CloneX, which we, we're holders of, is kind of an, an exciting foray into that. But more generally, I think for, for incumbents, where, where have they been poking? We've seen a lot of tension kind of go to, to Polygon and the Layer 2s for some of the initial use cases that they're looking to, to do. There's also the, the space where You've seen some big collaboration like Tiffany's and CryptoPunks is an example where they create these pendants for CryptoPunks holders, in a sense, expanding their core user base. Typically, they would not have marketed to necessarily Web3 native users, but 
this unique opportunity emerges with punks where it kind of makes sense that people that are, are in that community would want to acquire these pendants. And I think I saw a recent one with Bored Apes and one, one, one major fashion brand coming soon. So that those are just examples of where you're seeing a two-pronged approach with the incumbents. One is they will try and do things that are entirely but around their brand and their expression of what they think a Web3 strategy is. That's close to the Nike artifact model. And then you kind of see these collaborations where it's very hard to have a Web3 native audience buy into you. And so you kind of have these brands borrowing that credibility or street cred, so to speak, from Web3 native audiences. Punks is an example. Board Apes is an example. I think this is just going to continue. So it's going to be a symbiotic relationship between Web3 native audiences and these Web2 incumbents in fashion to kind of bridge that gap and, and really create a, a new wave of digital digital fashion. And there's also the proclivity for people to want to show off their PFPs. I think that's just a, a sign on the wall that as soon as we have more immersive digital experiences, digital fashion's really going to pick up in the same way that traditional fashion works currently. People will want to showcase that in a digitally native environment. I think some of the technology that's necessary to get us there is currently being built and it's probably not going to be here by the end of the year per se, but as that progresses, as we become more engrossed in our digital experiences, I think that's also going to be a really huge tailwind for brands that people think define them in, in a, a Web3 native or a digital environment, but also they would want to carry over some of what they wear in real life into the digital experiences and kind of showcase that yes i am aligned with these brands i i prefer this over that and that that whole movement is going to create room for incumbents and web3 native fashion brands alike well i i also think about the fact that whether we're talking about pfps adoption of like mainstream brands into web3 nfts i we're recording this in the beginning of may 2023 and relative to let's say a year ago or two years ago year and a half ago Things are kind of, I think overall sentiment in the NFT space is lower than it was like a year, year and a half ago. Things that whether or not these are the correct things to look at, but like, let's say floor prices have, have gone down. There's like sentiment that I, I say there's like, there's a lot of emotional fragility, I think, in this sort of sentiment on social media around NFTs and Web3. And there's like any cycle, right? There's ups and downs bare, bullish moments, booms and busts. And now we're in an interesting time period because also there's some macroeconomic uncertainty and you know, just at the sort of life context of, of, of 2023 in May is a time that seems more complicated than versus the NFT bull run where a lot of these projects we mentioned were at their, their peak pricing, at least historically. Now, how has that impacted maybe the way metaversal invest today or even just your own sort of commentary on what's your take on sentiment today because i would say inarguably it's not as positive as it was but what what does that actually mean to you and how do you interpret the current sort of market sentiment and signals yeah that's a great question and i think at a high level you are correct in the sense of that sentiment is is waning i think there's a lot of fatigue from just general markets in terms of how things have been trending and this 
This is brought in mainly from the macro context, but I think for us, what this means, and it, it's quite exciting for us because this is a buyer's market, so to speak, where the truly convicted participants in this ecosystem are still going strong and continue to acquire. And in fact, maybe acquiring at, a, at an even faster rate at, at this juncture. And I think in terms of the grand scheme of where we are now relative to where the bull run was in terms of sentiment, the promise of the technology, I think with any, with any new technology or any new breakthrough, you get this initial burst of euphoria and then it's typically followed by a normalization period before kind of expectations and reality meet. And then you have this new surge in the production of tooling and the necessary framework to kind of provide a base. We see that that initial run-up as validation that, yes, this is the place to pay attention to, and this will be a game-changing improvement to, to a number of, of industries, creators, and, and everything in between. And now it's just a case of, can we build the base layer or the framework to actually continue to validate that thesis? And I think that's what's happening now. There's a lot of builders heads down, not really focused on the general market activity per se, and they're in tune with the market activity, but it's not dissuading them from building really, really great products and, and companies. And in fact, I would say that sentiment is not equal for instance, Mad Lads, which is an NFT collection that, that just launched last week, you probably saw it. I mean, this is a team that has been building in stealth for over a year. They released a product that is quite revolutionary from a wallet perspective in the sense that you no longer need to sign third-party apps into your wallets. Everything's an in-wallet native experience. And you saw the kind of the reception that they got. They got over $15 million in sales. Less than seven days, they become the, the, the most traded collection in the top seven days. And this is a Solana collection. They surpassed board apes for seven days. I mean, so when we see that type of stuff, I think it's a silver lining in the sense of it's not that the market's gone. It's that people are building and the right builders, the people that are really doing things that are pushing the space forward and, and pushing the envelope will still find capital, whether it's, it's private companies or whether it's an NFT community, there's still excitement. And right now you truly have the core user group that's going to champion this technology and champion these creators into, into the next phase. And we're likely to see the same amount of speculation come back soon that we saw in 2021. If we get a, a period of, of, of more, more liquidity and, and broader macro markets, but I think at the current stage, there's there's still, I don't think we've been this excited for a while, just seeing what people are building in a, in a variety of areas and what creators are thinking of doing as well. And I do say like one of the breakers of sentiment is one thing that does need to be addressed, which is the royalty issue. I mean, since royalties became like a debate or were put in question, I think, this took a heavy toll on the supply side of, of the market, which most people tend not to talk of. Most people focus kind of, oh, floor prices did this, floor prices did that. But I think if you ask anyone that's in the space, how many projects have they been excited to mint this year versus last year? I think for every single person, the answer will be a higher number last year than it was for this year. And why is that? I think a, a big chunk of that is kind of, creators being disillusioned or at least 
rightfully so with, with the royalty situation. And we're seeing a few, a few of those things being resolved in different ecosystems, like in the Solana ecosystem, there's the Metaplex PNFT standard, which again, gives the creators the option to enforce royalties independent of the, the marketplaces or where market participants are, are, are doing the exchanges on. And we'll see that type of stuff get resolved over time. And I think once the royalty issues is adequately addressed, whether on Ethereum or any of these ecosystems, we're going to get renewed activity and interest for, from creators. So I think that's the other thing that can't be understated. Just the fact that th there's been kind of a, a slight tampering of, of, of creator sentiment just as a result of the royalty issue. And, and that's, that's certainly another major driver independent of macro that's kind of built into that, the current sentiment we see. But again, like I said, we see a silver lining to all of this because these are issues that are being addressed currently. There's builders building to solve for exactly these specific situations. And it's just a matter of time before you kind of get, and it's for the benefit of the whole ecosystem where you kind of get these periods of, of, okay, let's pull back. Let's really see what the fundamentals need to be and what needs to be built for us to get to the next level. And ultimately the entire space will be better for it. So as a whole, Metaverse is still excited. We're still very active and quite bullish on the outlook for, for NFTs and everything in, in the space. I remember someone told me once that there's always a bull market somewhere. And I think if you really believe in the long-term potential of NFTs and Web3, you should you know, hopefully not be discouraged by short-term sentiment. And it's interesting you mentioned the royalty piece. I never really thought of it exactly that way. But I know one of the contributing factors to royalty policy, of course, is the marketplaces themselves that set the royalty policy. Considering how that was particularly an issue of controversy, you know, different marketplaces kind of following each other, distinguishing themselves from each other based on several factors, royalties being one of them. How do you see that sort of debate evolving? And I know you can't predict necessarily what every single marketplace will do in the future, but I guess in a sort of game theory business strategy perspective, do you see, I guess, maybe a, a greater divergence and diversification of options when it comes to NFT marketplaces that maybe distinguish themselves through policies like royalties or through like subcategories, focuses? How do you see that sort of space evolving? Yeah, this is a very good question. And just to clarify from the onset, I, I do think that some marketplaces will are suited to have the royalty regime that they have and what comes to mind is kind of your generative art marketplaces like Epic Hash or Object or some of these, I think that market is, is specifically suited and fragmented in a way where those royalties are likely to persist and not be put in question. I think even our blocks collections are an example, but for, for, for everything else, I think this, this is a very interesting thing. And we've seen marketplaces that are sort of middlemen, so to speak. They're providing an essential service by, by giving you a superior user experience when you're purchasing your NFT. At least, you know, you can just click this button and boom, you, you've bought your, your NFT. You don't need to, to manually sign these contracts. So it's, it's a valid service they're providing, but I think it's been unfortunate to kind of see creators being sacrificed at the helm of increasing their their take rate and sometimes that they maintain their take rate at the expense of creator royalties and it's, it, it was just an a low point for the ecosystem and and how we opted to collectively 
go, go down that route. And I, I will say that there was some attempt at resolution, but at the end of the day, I think there's, there's kind of this fundamental issue that marketplaces are going to have, which is if you're providing the service as an intermediary, it's, it's going to be a race to zero because there's always going to be one competitor that will be willing to undercut you. And once that dynamic starts, I mean, it, it, it's a quick race to zero, as we've seen with, with uh, not to name names, but like the two largest marketplaces right now in Ethereum, OpenSea and Blur. I mean, it's it's been a knife fight to 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 bring down those royalties and ultimately gamification of incentives for for big traders swung over a lot of the volume there, but it's still not addressing this fundamental issue, which is royalty. So we see have kind of two ways of this potentially resolving. I think one way is in true Web3 fashion, you have marketplaces that are structured in a way to kind of give the people and the creators back the power. And I think a great example of this is Tensor, which is on Solana. Just this week, they became the number one marketplace, but they're very different to what we think of as an OpenSea or a Magic Eden, for instance. This is an AMM, an NFT AMM, and it is structured in a way where all the fees generated from trading, of course, the AMM takes a small percentage, but at the end of the day, the, their goal is to try and redistribute these fees to market participants or market makers, so to speak. So if you provide liquidity, either on the buy side or on the sell side, there is an incentive for you to continue to do that. In the same way that Blur has this by incentivizing you through a token, you're incentivized to just provide liquidity on the on the order book and again gamification of, of these rewards. I think we're gonna see a lot more of that in the sense that even collections or collection treasuries that hold significant amounts of NFTs and also proceeds from their mint in their treasury, they might be willing to say, okay, if the royalty regime is not conducive for us and how we want to continue to operate. What does it look like if we operate or contribute liquidity to an AMM pool for our collection and then earn fees from the trading fees that, that ongo? Is that enough to supplement the money you're foregoing through royalties? Most likely can be over time. So that's that's one example of where things could go. I think you could also have the other end of the spectrum where communities or collections will have their own marketplaces like CryptoPunks is an example, although that's a zero royalty marketplace. What if a community says, okay, if other marketplaces are not willing to honor royalty, it's very important to us that our community members, people that want to join, pay this royalty. So we will spin up our own marketplace and drive the community to list there, maybe. And most community members would, would, would I guess, side with their collection or NFT community wants. But again, at the end of the day, people want liquidity and they tend to aggregate where there's the most liquidity and tightest spreads. If you want to sell, sell it the price you want. If you want to buy, buy the price you want. Whoever has those best prices will likely get the listing. And so I think it's it's going to take a while to resolve, but the the marketplace arena is, is just heating up and we're seeing a lot of shakeups. A lot of the big incumbents over there last year are currently not the, as big as they were in the past. And even the ones that are coming into the the fort now might not be the ones that persist over time. So it's it's a very uncertain but exciting time in the marketplace. 
area. And I think all of this was precipitated by what you mentioned. Once you sacrifice the creators, I mean, market forces always conspire to try and solve the issue. And hopefully we get to a resolution to that sooner rather than later, because I, I do think it's a major, major hindrance for the space as a whole if, if we leave the royalty issue unaddressed. Oh, no. I mean, I, I see this world as constantly evolving at a pace that is actually, you know, I mean, we get caught up in maybe news that happens on a weekly, monthly basis. But if we take a step back, so much progress and change has happened over the course of just a couple of years, you know. And so, you know, this time next year, two years now, I can only imagine how different things are. And I know we're kind of running out of time here, unfortunately. I mean, I'd love to continue this conversation maybe at a later date. And I think we've only scratched the surface, unfortunately, on so many of these topics, honestly. But, you know, in, in the sake of time, maybe I'll need to close up here and, and maybe ask the two questions I used to, to end the podcast. The first being, you know, where can people find you, Metaversal, et cetera? And then what's like a last message you'd like to leave with the audience or anything you'd, you'd like to kind of reflect on as you take a look at the NFT Web3 world and whatever you're doing at, at Metaversal? Yeah, best place to find us and everything that we're doing is at metaversal.gg. And once you're there, we write what are the best summaries or newsletters out there that covers everything that happens in Web3 in a week. And we also invite people to become members of our community through our badge program, which you can access via the newsletter. But one thing, just go to metaversal.cg and subscribe to the newsletter and you'll get everything that, that you need to know about us on, on a weekly basis and also great summaries and updates on what, what happened in the world of Web3. Yeah, so it's a nice distilled place for you to get your day your weekly dose of web3 information and then in terms of final thoughts i think like i mentioned we do see a silver lining right now even though sentiment might be impaired and general markets might be quite suppressed i think we're still very excited on what people are currently building and some of it is not live yet but we're seeing a lot of really really big things coming through the pipeline that will really shake up kind of next year or two. And this is not going away. I think what our space as a whole has, has kind of come to is trying to bridge the gap from Web 2 to Web 3 and kind of this Web 2.5 middle area. But I think we, we can't lose track of the ball and remember why Web 3 exists in the first place. So even as companies kind of transition to better user interfaces or flows to kind of bring in or ease the friction of it becoming a participant in this ecosystem, I think we're still going to see heavy development for Web3 native experiences. And those are, are really going to be the game changer in the coming days. And we keep track of all of this. We're at the forefront of what's going on here. And best place to get a praise of all that is, is through our newsletter. So if any of this was exciting to you guys, and thank you, Tony, for having us on, I think going and subscribing to your newsletter would be a great way to kind of keep abreast of all these major developments. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time, Wilfred. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the New Street X podcast. You can learn more about the guest in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com. Please make sure to like, follow, subscribe across YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and more. Thank you so much. See you next time.